Let's stand together, Luke 23, and we will look at the first statement that Jesus made, and of course we'll look at these statements in chronological order, the best we understand the scriptures. And Luke 23 and verse 33, it says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. There's much we could unpack there, but of course we're going to focus on verse 34. Where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to preach tonight about the cry of forgiveness. We're talking about cries from the cross. This was a cry of forgiveness. Let's pay attention to it tonight. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'd help us tonight. Thank you for your forgiveness. Pray if somebody's here and they're not saved and they need to experience your forgiveness tonight, they would. Thank you for these words cried out from the cross that reach to all of us. Thank you so much for the cry of forgiveness. Help us to learn from it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. Appreciate you standing. Well, a person's last words are certainly worth listening to. Uh, some people's last words are, are famous. I mean, you remember Nathan Hale who said this, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Those are some famous last words. What about the last words of Julius Caesar? A tu, Brute, or you too, Brutus? Those are famous last words that we still hear oftentimes. Sometimes last words are very obvious. Linhard Euler was a Swiss mathematician. Here's what he said, I die. All right, that's pretty obvious. Luther Burbank was a botanist. These were his last words, literally. I don't feel good. Some are ironic. It's said that the last words of General John Sedwick during the Civil War, he was sitting on top of his horse and he said this, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... Some are humorous. James Rogers, when he was asked for a last request at his execution, said, Why, yes, I'd like a bulletproof vest. Jesus was crucified about nine in the morning on a Wednesday. I know there's a lot of speculation when he died. We celebrate Good Friday. I don't know how Jesus could have died on Friday, rose on Saturday, and been dead three days. That just doesn't make sense, honestly. But there's a lot of debate about that. I personally believe he died on a Wednesday. He was crucified about 9 in the morning. He remained on the cross till about 3 o'clock, 6 hours, and he was buried around 6 p.m. We get this from the Scripture. And from those six terrible hours during that time, he spoke seven times. I mentioned that to you. So if you're ever playing Bible trivia and they ask you that question, now you know. Seven times he spoke on the cross. The first of those statements was, Father, forgive them. Now that's interesting to me because if you study His life, if you go through the Gospel and, and recognize how Jesus lived and what He did while He was on earth, He had already previously forgiven people's sins. 
Wouldn't you have loved to have been in, many people believe it was Peter's house. Remember when Jesus was in Canaan, he was, he was preaching in that house and it was so packed out that they couldn't even get in. I'm not talking about you couldn't find a seat. I'm talking about it was so packed out you could not get in the door. And so there was a paralytic man who was, the Bible says, I like the language of the scriptures, he was born of four. They were carrying him. I don't know if they had him in a blanket. Maybe they had him on a cot. They had him some way. And they were each on one corner carrying him in. And they went up to the roof. You understand those houses would have had kind of a, a, a flat top surface where a lot of times they spent kind of like we would on a patio. They would go up there and, and they started cutting a hole through the top of the ceiling to lower that man down. I, I, I tend to believe it was Peter's house. And I, I would have loved to have been in there and just see. You know how wound tight Peter seems to be from what we know in the scriptures. Could you imagine... I mean, trying to listen to Jesus preach, he's trying to concentrate, and somebody's sawing or ripping apart his roof. I mean, I know how irritated I get when people mess up my stuff. And I, tell, I mean, I can see him just, not, and finally they bring this guy down. And don't you love that whole interaction? Jesus looks at that man and he says, listen, just to prove that the Son of Man can do what he said, your sins are forgiven, but just to prove that, he said, get up and walk, take your bed and walk. I love that whole interaction. And do you ever read that? And he said, he said my, thy son, my sins be forgiven thee. And the Pharisees in their mind are saying, well, nobody can forgive sins but God. And then he starts talking to them out loud. And they don't recognize what's happening here. He's reading their minds as if he is God. And he says, I'll prove to you I have the ability to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk on out of here. He knew how to forgive sins. Do you remember that time that there was a woman who lived a very sinful life and she knew she needed something from God? And by the way, I don't care who you are, everybody needs something from God. None of us can do it on our own. We were born dependent on others. We will die dependent upon others. And we have a greater dependency on God than we do on anybody else. Without Him, your heart doesn't beat. Your lungs don't expand. Your brain doesn't function. He is life and life itself. But you know, when some people live certain sinful lives, they're brought to a place. See, you can be so sinfully arrogant that you don't realize you need God. But there are some that become so destitute that they know they need God. This woman had lived a very immoral life, a life of prostitution, a, a, a life of, of what we would consider bad sin. All sin is bad, but she knew it in her heart. She came to Jesus and she washed his feet with the very tears flowing from her eyes and dried his feet with her hair. Do you remember that? She knew she needed something and she knew he had something that she needed. And you remember the delicate language that he used there? He just simply said these wonderful words. He said, thy sins are forgiven. Man, tell me that's not some good news to hear. Thy sins are forgiven. Could you, could you imagine a woman so broken that the tears flowing from her face are washing his feet and she's drying with her hair and she looks up at him and hears him. I don't know what Jesus' voice sounded like. I don't know exactly what the look in his eyes was, but I imagine it just burned with compassion as he looked down at her and, and not with condescension, not with condemnation. He just looked at her and said, thy sins are forgiven. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus knew how to forgive sins. And Jesus had the prerogative of which he could forgive sins. But now, did you notice this? Now he's not saying, you're forgiven. Male factor on the left, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Those that are crucifying me, you're forgiven. No, did you notice he, he said, Father, 
forgive them. Why the difference all of a sudden? Why a man that could go around before and forgive people for sins and had the power to do it, why is he now delegating it to his father? Why the change? I want to give you the answer. Forgiveness is a divine prerogative. It belongs to God. Remember that whole interaction with the paralytic man? He, he said, listen, I, I forgive you your sins. And they said, who can forgive sins but God only? And he proved that he was God by making the man get up and rise and walk. He showed his, his divine power and how he healed that man. It was a divine prerogative. Listen, I can tell you your sins are forgiven, but I cannot forgive your sins because I am not divine. I am not God. He said, well, did Jesus cease to be God when he was on the cross? Oh, no, he didn't do that. But I want you to understand this. He is now representing mankind on the cross. He is now suspended between heaven and earth, the link between God the Father and man. And he is literally becoming sin for us and paying for our sin on the cross. And it is through his death and through his prayer that he is revealing to us our greatest need, and that is forgiveness for sins. So as he becomes the, the substitute for humanity, he cries out to his father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this teaches us two great lessons. I want to give them to you tonight. Two lessons learned from Jesus' cry of forgiveness. Number one, first of all, it shows us that forgiveness is exemplified. Forgiveness was exemplified on the cross. Here's what I've observed in my own life. I've observed it in my life, and I've observed it in the life of other people. We love the Bible and what it teaches until we actually have to practice it. Y'all with me tonight? I, I, Brother Mark, I've heard so many people say to me, well, I know what the Bible says, but... Well, yeah, I, I normally would do that, or I think that's what you should do, but... And we kind of reason away why we don't have to do what we should do or what the Bible says in those moments. And forgiveness is one of those concepts. You know, forgiveness is a wonderful idea until you actually have to do it. I mean, really, how do you uh, continue to forgive somebody that continually keeps breaking promises? I've got a question for you. I think this is a reasonable question. Why should you forgive someone who didn't ask for forgiveness? You ever met somebody that did what was wrong, they knew it was wrong, and they're not sorry for it? You ever been that person? I met people, I know it was wrong. I know it was wrong. I did it. I know it was wrong, and I'd do it again. I know people like that. I've been someone like that before. Why should you forgive someone who didn't ask for it? Here's a good question. Can you forgive somebody who doesn't ask for it? We might address that here in this sermon. Do you have to forgive someone who is out to destroy you? These are some legitimate questions. And I think Jesus answers them on the cross when he cries out, Father, forgive them. Jesus is just simply here practicing what he had already preached to us. If you were to go back and read in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, I'll read them for you. He says this in his preaching. Oh, and again, I would say to you, wouldn't you have loved to hear Jesus preach? Again, I was, I've been reading a pretty lengthy, long biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, 
and uh, he, many believe he was the greatest preacher of the 20th century, and, and it shows a picture of him preaching at the Westminster Chapel. Westminster Chapel has three levels to it. I mean, it has two balconies, one on top of the other, and the place was completely packed out with thousands of people. I mean, full on the bottom row, full on the middle balcony, full on the top balcony. That man preached on the book of Ephesians. Anybody here? Come on, it's Wednesday night. Can anybody tell me off the top of your head, Bible trivia, how many chapters are in the book of Ephesians? Six. Not a very long book. He preached 270 sermons on the book of Ephesians. Wow! I've heard him in recording preaching, and I thought, man, I, I would have loved, I would have loved to sit in Westminster Chapel and hear that man preach. I, I really would have enjoyed that, but I'm telling you, nobody can hold a candle to Jesus preaching. Wouldn't you have loved to sat on the hillsides of, of Galilee and listen to that carpenter stand up on a rock or sit down and gather people around him, and he would say something like this, but I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. See, that's one thing to preach to a crowd of people. Because I'll tell you right now, there have been times that I've been preaching, and while I was preaching in the pulpit, going 100 miles an hour the best as I could, the Holy Spirit might say to me in myself, and say, hey, bub, that's some good preaching you're doing there. You, you, you going to practice that? I mean, you're going to do what you're telling these good folks to do out there? Is that what you Hey, Jesus never had to be convicted by the Holy Spirit because in him was no sin at all. And so what we see is he's hanging suspended between heaven and earth. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you understand? He was literally practicing what he had preached to his disciples. He was loving his enemies. He was doing good to them that used him. He was blessing those that literally at this moment were cursing him. And he was praying for them directly. I want you to notice something. Pay attention to the words. You know, understand words mean something. They capture and convey ideas. And in verse 34, it says there, I've got it circled in my Bible. It says, then said Jesus. Notice that little word, then. Think about when this was. That word then means it was when man was doing his worst. Do you, you understand, out of all the atrocities that man has done, all of the debauchery of man in his, in his history, all of the wicked, horrible things that have been done in, in the history of our world, do you know at this moment, then, then, that's the worst man has ever done? you understand? It was then when man's wickedness and vileness was on full display for all to see. It was then, it was then when the creature took and put his hands on the creator and nailed him to a cross. It was then, then, that's when he said, Father, forgive them. It was not after his wounds were healed. Well, you know, let me, let me heal up and then, you know, we'll talk. It was while his wounds were wide open that he said, forgive them. Now, I've had people say to me, well, I'm just not ready to forgive. Then, Jesus cried. See, on the cross, we see an example of one who had the power in his hand, really in his word, to destroy, but instead what he decided to do was for forgive. Now, let's ask a question. Let's just kind of get into some teaching mode here. 
Does the Bible teach that we must always forgive? It's a good question. It's a fair question. Luke 17, 3 says something like this. It says, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. This is my understanding. This is where I lean. This is something that I think you might have to work through. But I believe that if you're going to have real reconciliation, there has to be repentance. See, the one who has wronged the other must first repent. We're saying change of mind that leads to a change of action. Meaning this, if I say somebody has to repent, they need to judge themselves wrong and give evidence of their sorrow over it. But that's the question. What if they don't repent? Can you really forgive somebody that doesn't repent? Personally, I believe technically, no, you can't. You might take issue with me on that, but I, I just I, I read the text. It says there, if thy brother trespass again, and if he repent, suggesting that he might not. So if repentance doesn't take place, how can you forgive? And I, I know people say, well, if they don't ask, forgive him anyway. I, I understand that concept, but I think technically. I'm not sure that you can forgive if repentance hasn't been there. Because think about it. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't saying universally everybody's saved because I'm dying on the cross. No, they have to repent in order to experience his forgiveness. So you say, well, what if somebody doesn't repent? Well, then I think the Bible's very clear. We are not supposed to hold bitterness towards anybody. That would be a sin on our part. So if we call that uh, forgiveness in the sense that hey, I'm not going to be bitter against you, I'm not going to hold it against you. If that's what you want to call it, that, that, that's fine. Uh, but we are clearly told to hold no bitterness. And aren't you thankful that again, Jesus exemplifies this on the cross. He is holding no bitterness to the very men that are crucifying him. They're literally at the moment he's hanging there, they're at his feet squabbling over his clothes, gambling for his stuff. And he holds no bitterness. He holds no ill will. Come on, we're human. You ever had somebody do you wrong? And then when, when, when something bad happens to them, you're kind of like, yeah, it serves them right. Come on, you ever been on the interstate before and had somebody cut you off and tear off about 115 miles an hour down the interstate and a little bit while you come by and a police officer's got them pulled over and you're like, hey, 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 hey. Listen, we, we all have that, that nature to us. We, we all have this resentment and ill will towards those that have done our, us wrong. But the great example, Jesus, he harbored no bitterness. He harbored no ill will. And he prayed for people that hurt him. See, I think that's the value of Jesus' example. If somebody doesn't repent, therefore we cannot forgive them. You know what Jesus is showing us? We can pray for them. We can pray for them. So, again, I think forgiveness was exemplified, and, and you'll see that in the, in the New Testament. Remember Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the idea there is follow that pattern. Act like Jesus. Colossians tells us to forgive, even as Christ hath forgiven us. So the idea there is in order to forgive like Christ forgave us, we need to study how Jesus forgave. 
It's more than just saying, well, he died on the cross. No, no, no. Pay attention to how he behaved and how he acted and the way he treated other people and the way forgiveness is supposed to be. Pay attention to that because that's how we're supposed to live. That's what we're supposed to do. So forgiveness was exemplified. Oh, let me give you some even better, better news. I want you to see this tonight. Number two, forgiveness was extended. I want to ask you another question. We're asking a lot of questions tonight. You've got to think. I'm sorry. I know it's midweek. It's tired. I don't want to think. No, you need to think. You need to think. I've got a question for you. Do you get a pass when you're ignorant for wrongdoing? Well, I'm hearing a lot of no's. Your kids ever tried that? Because my kids have. They're called on the carpet for something, and I hear this. I didn't know. Oh, as if that exempts you. Why don't you try that sometime? I already used the speeding illustration. You try that if you get pulled over and you just tell the police officer, I, I didn't know what the speed limit was. It's, it's almost tax season time. Try that with the IRS. I didn't know. They don't even know their own rules. You're still going to jail, bub. You, you, you can't get a free pass because you're ignorant. And, and here's the question. Jesus, I know he said they don't know what they do, but then what was he talking about? Because how ignorant were they? Judas knew he betrayed a friend. And that's why he comes back with that money and he throws it down on the table. And he says, oh, take this back. And they say, we're not touching your money. He knew exactly what he did. Pilate knew that he had condemned an innocent man. His wife warned him, don't, don't, don't mess with it. And, and he said, I can find no fault in this man. And he said, I'm washing my hands of the situation. <laughs> no, you, you, you can symbolically dip your hand in water all you want. You know what you did. And you will live with that till the day you die. The, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin knew that they had put on a kangaroo court. They knew that they had lied and schemed in order to kill an innocent man. They knew. They knew. So what's Jesus talking about? I think that these people that he's referring to, they were absolutely ignorant of the enormity of their crime. Well, they knew what they did, but they didn't understand the enormity of everything that they had done. They knew what they had done, but they didn't know all of what they had done. Verse 35 shows their ignorance. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. You think about that. I'm sure you've thought about this before. But don't you like that old song, this old southern gospel song? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. You know, the truth is, if you think about that song a little bit, he didn't need angels to stick up for him. He made those angels. He spoke in the world that came into existence. But I understand the Bible does say that, doesn't it? That he could have called legions of angels. Think about that. He could have called, we say, 10,000 angels. Actually, if you want to be very biblical, it was 12 legions of angels. It was 72,000. So, you know, we're talking about Bible trivia tonight. Get that down. The Southern Gospel, a lot of them Southern Gospel songs are wrong. You know what I mean? Like, they sound good and you tap your toe and do this, but, but they, they're wrong. He could have called, but it just doesn't flow as well. He could have called 10,000 angels. It doesn't sound good if you sing 72,000 angels. But in 2 Kings 19, I want you to remember, remember when one angel, one, one, not a legion, not 10,000, one angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. One. 
Now, do you just think the havoc that 72,000 angels could have done on this place? And you know, it shows their ignorance. Here they are, they fasten him to a wooden cross on a hill called Golgotha. They had no idea what they were doing. Well, they knew what they were doing, but they had no idea the enormity of what they were doing. But I want to tell you tonight, and I think this is good news, even sins of ignorance need forgiveness. Because sins committed in ignorance are still sins. Ignorance is not innocent. And we need the forgiveness of God. Now, I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that these men were forgiven because Jesus prayed. I told you, just because Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, does not mean that these men were forgiven. You say, well, do you think that the man who nailed him to the cross was going to be in heaven? I think very well he might be, because you remember they were standing there, and one of them said, truly, this was the Son of God. But see, that statement indicates that he repented. And you must repent in order to receive the forgiveness of God. There is no such thing as universal salvation, meaning this, that just because Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sins of the whole world, that everyone will be saved. The Bible suggests otherwise. And a man must call upon the Lord Jesus Christ if he is to be saved. But what I want you to see here tonight, what this prayer does indicate, it does not indicate that everybody's going to be saved, but it does indicate that everybody can be saved. See, what Jesus is saying is saying, I stand ready to forgive. I stand ready to forgive even those that have nailed me to this cross. Wow. Now, let me just tell you, just because forgiveness is possible, man shouldn't assume that God would extend it. See, we're, we're on the other side of the coin. We, we know, we know that He has extended it. But I'm just simply saying... Just because God made it possible doesn't mean that he, it guarantees that He would extend it. Now, we know He has, and praise God for that, but we shouldn't assume that. I remember several years ago, I was traveling uh, with a group of men. We were going to a big men's conference from our church, and, and uh, we, we uh, flew to this men's conference that we were going to, and, and I was kind of hosting these guys, and they were traveling with me, and it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun just trying to build some relationships and connections with the men in the church at this conference. And so when we landed where we were going, we rented a vehicle. And there were several of us, so we needed to rent a, a Suburban. So we had this brand new, fancy Suburban. Uh, and, and they're expensive vehicles. I know we were just renting it. It wasn't, wasn't ours. We just were renting it. And, and so uh, I pulled up into a, this place of business. I was in this parking lot. And this man came up, saw us getting out of that. And he came out and he was asking me for money. And, you know... It's just hard to believe people, you know, and I hate to be cynical, but you just, I just kind of make it a practice. I'll help people with money, but if I don't know you, I'm not going to. Because I, I don't like being lied to, I don't like being taken advantage of, and I, I don't want to help a, uh, somebody do something wrong. Y- y'all tracking me? Somebody kind of looking at me funny tonight. So this guy came up to me, and he had, had this story, and it's a story that I've heard repeated before. And so, you know, I, I, I may have been born on a Monday, but it wasn't last Monday. You know what I'm saying? And so the guy said, hey, can I have this money for this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm just kind of the ringleader. He's kind of looking at me. And, and, and I said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have anything to give you. And I remember the guy said to me, he said, well, you just got out of a big old fancy car. You're telling me you don't have anything to give me. 
And so, I don't know if you guys have noticed this yet, but I, I can be a little snarky. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> and so I could be a little snarky. And I, I remember I looked at the guy, and, and, and again, I was with some, these were bigger guys, because I, you know, like I travel with, I hang out with Ezra Green and Corey Bernheis and stuff, so I can be snarky, and I got these guys on, on my side. You know? And so one, one of the guys I was with, he's six foot six, he's a black belt in karate, but that's not why I said this. The guy said, well, you mean to tell me you get out of this fancy vehicle, and you, you, don't, you don't have anything to give me? And this is what I said. I, I remember looking at him, and I said, well... I do have it, but I choose not to give it to you. Man, the guy got really mad. He started cussing me. I said, I don't care. I'm like, what, what, what you do? I remember we, we kind of got away from that guy, and my buddy's six foot six, black belt, and karate. He goes, man, preacher, I thought you were going to get us killed. <laughs> I said, that's why I brought you to this conference. <laughs> like, like, here's the point I'm trying to make with that story. Just because I have it, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to give it to you. Just because God, listen, are, are, are you, this is hard for us to comprehend because we know God has extended it to us. We know that now. But listen, just because God can forgive us doesn't necessarily mean he was going to. Let that sink in for a while. Just because God is able to do something, don't presuppose that he is going to do that. But isn't that the wonderful news? As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. So what that is saying to us is, yes, God made it possible to be saved. And listen to me tonight, this ought to make even a Presbyterian shout. He's saying to you, listen, I'll give it to you. You can have it. I'm extending it to you. All you have to do is repent. And believe. Jesus desired restoration, not retaliation. We can understand making intercession for good people, but for these people? Don't you love that in Romans chapter 5 when it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man even would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to point something out and we'll be done here again. Verse 34, Then said Jesus... That word said there is in the imperfect tense. I don't want to bore you with all that, but basically what that means is that word is in continuous action. And so the idea here is that he prayed this over and over and over again. Just think about it tonight. You know what that means? Is when they got up the hill to Calvary, he was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do. When they took his limp body and threw it down on a cross, and stretched him out, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they took that first nail and drove it into his hand, he cried out, Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They stretched his other arm over, Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they laid his feet over and rammed him through his feet. Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what and they picked up his limp body and dropped it, that post down in the hole, and his body shook and hung on those nails. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what he's doing. And they walked by and wagged their head and said foolish things like, oh, he saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? Oh, king of the Jews. I would imagine you heard him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know. We don't know how many times he prayed this prayer. 
we know that that word is said in continuous action, meaning he prayed it repeatedly. I just want to say tonight, praise God that salvation is not only possible, salvation is available. But it breaks my heart to think that there are people that turn it away all the time. I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but on Sunday we had a wonderful crowd of young people from local high school that came and attended our service. I tried to preach the gospel and say that not only is salvation possible, it's available. And praise God, they, they listened very well, very much engaged in the service and the sermon. And I was grateful for that. That was a an specific answer to prayer. and I gave God the glory for that. And I praise God we asked for somebody to be saved. At least I did. You know, the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And I thought, man, if just one kid gets saved, wow, how awesome would that be? We had three. But you know, there was a young lady who came to this event last year. And I didn't do this on purpose, but the same young lady talked to Mindy last year, and then again, it just so happened by the providence of God, talked to her again this year. And I, I'm not going to go into detail everything that she talked to Mindy about, but basically she said this. I understand what you're saying. Uh, the preacher made sense. I, I understood what he was saying. But this is what she said. I'm just not sure that I can believe that. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? I'm saying that God has made it possible to be saved. And He's made it available to everybody to be saved. But there are some people that will still say, thanks, but no thanks. Can I tell you, we all have a lot of needs, don't we? We need to get a good night's sleep. We need good meals. We need a roof over our head. We need things. But you know what we need more than anything? God's forgiveness. So friend, tonight I want to ask you, have you been forgiven? Don't stand at the foot of the cross and wag your head and say, thanks but no thanks. No friend, you will not experience the forgiveness you so desperately need until you repent and ask the Lord to save you. Have you been forgiven? I'm not trying to scare or talk anybody out of being saved. I hope that you can say with me, with a humble heart, with a grateful heart, oh yes. I don't know why He extended it to me, but He did. And He's forgiven me of my sins. If you have been forgiven, are you grateful for the forgiveness He's extended? See, sometimes when I preach Christ on a Wednesday night like this, more of a salvation-style message, I think to myself, well, this is Wednesday night. I mean, it's Wednesday night. But I'm always reminded of that old song we sing. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Aren't you thankful? Are you grateful? Do you hear a message like this? and it take you back in your mind's eye to when you got saved? Aren't you thankful? I don't know why God would forgive me. I don't know why He would extend it to me. I don't know why He would make it possible for me, but I'm sure glad He did. Now here's where sometimes the rubber meets the road, though, friends. Do you forgive even as Christ hath forgiven you? Is there some area 
with someone that you need to follow his example tonight? I pray the Lord will help us.